0: It's time for the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and your co-host, Kevin Toefel. And we are coming here live from CES, talking about the latest and greatest news in, well, we're just going to stick to the Internet of
1: Things. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, but we'll keep to our uh, typical. Yeah. Is this the first podcast we've done together, like in the same room?
0: I, we did one at CES like three or four years ago, okay. but yes. Yes. It's weird because so I never get So that's what to you look like. No, just wah. kidding. <laughs> so we actually realized that we've almost been like working together for 10 years, which is a huge... I don't know what anniversary that that's, is. That's
1: a long commitment. Yeah. Is that the
0: diamond anniversary? I don't know, Gold, what, did, silver What'd silver? you get me? I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: the transistor anniversary. All right. So enough silliness. Big story at CES is, my goodness, Amazon, Madam A versus Google, and quite frankly... All of the other voice assistants, Qualcomm had some news about Baidu's voice assistant and Alibaba's as well. So
1: we're going to talk about Bixby in a few minutes as well.
0: And Bixby, the forgotten voice assistant. Don't forget the Bixby. I've heard Cortana mentioned more than Bixby. Wow. But I didn't go to the Samsung keynote, which we're also going to talk about. We're going to also talk about some cool stuff we've seen. Smart bathrooms, new chips for Z-Wave, for and lawsuits. We also have... The CEO of Arm, Simon Seegers, on the show, he's going to be talking to us about the future of IoT and Spectre and Meltdown, so you're going to want to stay tuned for how well your phone's going to work in the next few years. Plus, we've got a message from Lux Products, and now we'll go to a message from another one of our sponsors. This week's sponsor is CBT Nuggets. How does the IoT change the way we do business? For many organizations, it means a proliferation of devices and tools. And all of those devices require support. That means either a mountain of requests for the ITT or a pile of devices that aren't being used to their full potential. But if everyone on your team knew how to use their tools, phones, tablets, etc., you're going to have fewer support requests for IT, and you're going to get the most out of your material investment. CBT Nuggets has been the top training choice for IoT professionals for decades, and now they're making the same high-quality online training for end-user topics like Windows 10, iOS, Salesforce, and Security Awareness. So your whole team can fully connect with the IOT. Go to cbtnuggets.io to find out more about how end user training can help your team get connected to the IOT. All right, we're going to catch Kevin Mid-Yawn. Nope, he's done. Let's talk about Madam A and Google. They're, what aren't they?
1: At this point, that is the question because I'm seeing Google and Amazon voice services being put into anything and everything, new devices, new partners, Google is here to show off you know, Google Assistant capabilities. They're, they're on every billboard, on the monorails. They had a nice display over at Sands today that I saw. That people lined up for 30 minutes to use it. So they've got the hype going. Didn't see as much Amazon stuff. I did not. But then again, it's day one, and we've got a lot of ground to cover yet.
0: I've seen Amazon's obviously, they're conducting some developer events. They also have... I haven't seen a booth. Now this is Google's first booth at CES.
1: Well, they didn't really have a booth. What they, they, they had a giant it's a display. It was like a gumball machine and a touchscreen like a jam board and they were having a game with people using Google Assistant and so they were it was more of hype. It wasn't really to show anything new. It was just to make sure that they're in the conversation about conversation.
0: Well, and they have the I don't know if it's a booth or if it's like a house outdoors at Las Vegas Convention Center, but because it's been raining, it's been shut down. So anyway, so what we've seen, I'm trying to think, Madam A is going to be in Toyota and Lexus cars next year. That's going to be exciting for anybody who owns those. I would actually, Garmin is also showing off some products that bring Madam A into like the dashboard cam. There's a lot of that kind of new stuff, like add-ons to bring into the car. I would still like it just to be part of my car and all of that, but that's okay,
1: right? It seems like a lot of the voice services are being positioned as solutions for car manufacturers, for example, just an all-in-one solution, so that they don't have to build their own. They can just, you know, put it in and be done with it. Harmon, which is a Samsung company, showed off their vision, and it wasn't either of the voices that you just mentioned. It was Bixby.
0: But all right, let's we'll- talk about Bixby because, I mean, other than note, I should say we talked to some people. And one of the things that I found really interesting is that the retail channels, so the best buys of the world, they're actually asking smart homemakers to add works with Madam A or Google Assistant to their products. They're trying to divvy up their shelf space that way. And so if you don't have that, they're kind of like, eh, are people really going to buy you? Which I actually thought was pretty interesting.
1: No, that's smart because for one thing that if consumers are in the Best Buy and are like have to flag somebody down and say, does this work with my system or whatever? That's taking time away from something else that person could be doing. So there needs to be, and we've called for this, some clear packaging that explains all this. And that's one thing I did see. I've seen the logos all over the place here.
0: Yes. And what people may not be talking about is this basically ended the standards war that we had been talking about forever. Nobody cares. If it works with Madame or works with Google Assistant, they're like, okay, that's all I need to know. So like we said, the AIs have just papered over all of the underlying standards drama. So we're done with that, you guys. Just mostly. 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 There's... There's a lot more work for the developers. I'm actually very upset that I'm getting these stupid press releases about, you know, Honeywell integrating with Whirlpool and giving these like silly features. And I'm like, that's not a press release. The Internet of Things is not about custom integrations device by device.
1: It's a platform for everything to work together.
0: And we don't have that except in voice. So that's why they're so they're everywhere and doing well. So, Let's talk about Bixby. Let's talk about Samsung.
1: Let's talk about Samsung, because we couldn't be in uh, two places at the same time. You went to Qualcomm's press event while I went to Samsung's. Yes. But you and I were at the Samsung press event three years ago, and I'm sure you remember that, because we kind of were laughing a lot.
0: Yes, Why this was that? Was- this was pre-C, pre-all of our IoT craziness. It was right after they bought SmartThings, I believe. And oh my gosh, it was a kumbaya. Everything in the internet of things will work together. All things will talk to all things. It was mm-hmm. beautiful.
1: And do you remember what it was, the platform itself, that was going to do all that?
0: Tizen! hmm Did you hear anything about Tizen?
1: Not one mention in the press event. And it was a 45 to 50-minute press event. And I would say... 35 minutes of it was IoT. They led with it and kept going with it. They did talk eventually about some new laptops and whatnot. But it was all IoT, which was very different and good for us and our listeners. But no, it was not mentioned. What was mentioned in its place were two things. Smart things. And Bixby. So it seems to me, and I have not been able to talk to anybody at Samsung yet about this, all this underlying stuff, their TVs, their appliances, the OS level may still be Tizen.
0: But who cares? But
1: who cares? And you know what? Good for them for realizing it when they have a company that they acquired, SmartThings, that is a known, at this point, brand. They have Bixby, which is a known, maybe not loved yet, but still brand. And that's what it was. They are coming out with smart things on their watches, which they didn't have. I didn't realize that. I'm like, why wouldn't they have had that? But they don't. Now they, they will. They're putting Bixby into their TVs and their appliances. And they are, they say, the brand leader in appliances in the world. Which I think is great for them and makes it a little more difficult for, say, Amazon because they don't build appliances. They've got to work with appliance partners to get Madam A in there. They probably will because...
0: No. Be. three years ago, the message was, hey, we're going to use our stuff and other people's stuff. So I fully expect my Samsung washers to still work with Madame
1: A. I would expect them to as well. My take on it is if it works with smart things today, it still will work going forward. And I don't think they're going to limit that anymore because they want to be the underlying hub platform, etc.
0: Did they mention Arctic at
1: all? They did not. And that was another thing I was waiting for them to mention. But that's good. They're abstracting away all of the developer stuff because consumers don't care about that. You know, oh, does your hub run Arctic, Tizen, Android? Nobody cares. They just want it to work. Do my devices talk to each other and can I make them do things together? Yes. And that was really promising to hear. I mentioned Bixby in the car. They had Harmon showing their vision of autonomous cars. And you would just say, Bixby, you know, drive me to so-and-so and it would just do it. Um, their appliances as well. They showed their smart fridge. Again, you would talk to Bixby and voice, it would recognize two different people's voices to give their different morning briefing and all that. Same stuff that we have with Madam A and others, but it's nice to see them working on that as well. So I was impressed.
0: Okay. So we're going to talk more in the weeks ahead about stuff we saw, especially as we assimilated. But I went by the Bosch booth because I am an industrial IoT nerd and Bosch is really good at that stuff. And I saw they actually had two
2: new MEMS
0: and... You guys are like, what? MEMS? These are basically like analog components stuck on a digital chip. So it's really crucial in the Internet of Things because you're basically taking the signals that are analog in the real world and turning them into digital signals for computers. So that's why MEMS are cool, you guys. Now you know. All right. So they had a really low power accelerometer. And accelerometers are all over the place. They're not sexy anymore. But this guy ran at 0.8 microwatts, which is so small. So this was the underlying power thing. So now it's possible to use an accelerometer, not just for like tracking motion in your phone and these other devices, but you could actually make like a window open close sensor instead of using magnets, you could actually use this kind of thing. And if it's a type of, it could tell you like how far open the window is. Mm. So you start to see like, again, it's not just what the sensor measures, but also like how low power is it, you know, and now that you've got Inference and algorithms that you can apply to it. You can actually get some really cool stuff. So I was excited to see what people might do with that. The other thing that I saw that was wicked cool was they have a MEMS projector that is relatively low power. But what was cool is it actually stays in focus. You know, you can like zoom in and out with the projector. It stays in focus and it can project on any surface and then you can interact with it. So you could project like a to do list and then check them off. And it's small enough. It is a 30 by 70 millimeter package. So it's actually small enough to fit inside like an Amazon echo or something. It's not quite small enough to fit into a light bulb yet, but you know, semiconductors, not just move smaller and smaller. So I thought those two things were really cool because they, I could see them becoming crucial for new displays, new interactions in the home, especially when voice won't cut it. You need a screen. So that was it. Z-Wave. There's also some new Z-Wave chips out there. I should talk to you about those because they offer 10-year battery life on a Z-Wave sensor. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Basically, these guys, they've had the radio for a while. They used a new controller that better manages sleep basically to keep it super low power. So those are coming out and we're going to see crazy low power in our Z-Wave sensors. So yay, chips!
1: And speaking of Z-Wave... Ah, speaking of Z-Wave, I stopped by the Fabaro booth and caught the new wall plug that they have, which I really like because it does, like my Wemo Insight Switch, it monitors your energy use, but it also has a USB port on the side so you can charge something else, which is a nice (gasps) add-on. So I don't have to go buy the
0: USB port things and replace my outlets? Guys, this is
1: brilliant. Well, not only that, but you can monitor the energy draw from that USB port as well. Oh. Which is really cool. Not that those devices use a ton of energy, but it's still cool. And talking to the folks at Fabaro, it got me thinking about use cases for IoT devices. Because you could, and I didn't think of this, but it came up in conversation. This is not my idea. But when you turn on your bedroom light in the morning, maybe your lamp as you're waking up before the sun comes up, the power draw that's now being monitored in, say, a sensor like this could be a trigger event for your good morning scene. Mm-hmm. I never thought of using the power adjustment or fluctuation as something like that. Clever, really clever. And that also got me thinking then about the fact that I rely on voice for almost everything in my house. And my family hates it. They don't like using voice. That's fine. But also, they tend to go to bed a lot earlier than I do. And I'm in my office. and It'll be midnight or 1 in the morning. And I'll say, hey, Madame A, shut the lights. And she'll yell back, okay, no problem. you and,
0: in and that Google Assistant night mode.
1: I do. I do. Well, maybe I don't use voice at all because voice is not the right context at one in the morning when you have people sleeping in the house. So I know this is not a new product, but I'm probably going to buy that Fabaro gesture thingy that they put out last year.
0: We've got to describe that a little bit better. So so, so what is the Fabaro gesture thingy? So
1: I forget the exact name of it, but what it is, is it looks like a small picture frame because you can actually put a picture in it and put it up somewhere next to you and just gesture like you have the force. It's really cool. It uses it's some kind of radio waves, and by using your hand, you disrupt that. And that's how it knows what the gesture is. And I think there's about six different gestures that it can do. Swipe the magic. It's called the swipe. Oh, the swipe. Yes. The swipe the swipe this swipe. So I'm going to buy the swipe, I think. So because that – my situation at night, when everybody's going to sleep, you know, I tell Madame A to dim the lights more or raise the lights because whatever. I can just – Wave my hand over this thing one way and dim the lights. I can do it with my hand in a circle and lower the Sonos music that I might be listening to because everybody's sleeping.
0: And it also it can be, it's powered for white, like it's battery powered, or you can micro USB, which is kind of nice. Well,
1: it is kind of nice because that leads into where I might actually put it. I may. I have a little IKEA nightstandy table next to my comforting chair, comfy chair in my office. This actually works through like up to an inch of almost anything, like granite even. So I just have wood. So I'm going to probably mount this thing underneath and just literally wave my hand one of six different ways over my little table and have things happen. And it won't wake anybody up. So I need to get out of the mindset of voice is awesome for everything because it is, but not all the time.
0: Exactly. And that's why, so a product like Swipe, which I do think is cool and I've coveted now, the challenge with Favaro Swipe is that it doesn't work completely with all
1: hubs right and we did chat about that and i won't get into details now but basically if you're going to use Fibaro products you're probably better off with a smart things hub mm-hmm. as opposed to a wink hub so um, and- and it's because of the implementations and so on but so yeah so and i need to test the smart things link usb device anyway so i may switch everything over for testing purposes but and they also have their button which has three different options that just came out no pricing on that so, they're still the talking Z- about that. Yeah, the
0: Z-Wave button is 50 bucks, and it's fun. Now, and we should expect from you, because you actually have the home kit stuff in your house. Correct. So, I think, Kevin, yep. check this out. Homework for Kevin. It's yeah. been a while.
1: It's been a while, and, and it's overdue. So, I promised the Fabaro folks that I would share my thoughts on all these products. So, coming up.
0: All right. And another little news bit that people are talking about in our space, the smart home space, is... SkyBell is suing Ring for patent infringement on three video doorbell related patents. So this, I feel like this year, 2018, is going to be one, year of price competition. Two, if you're still in the game and you're suddenly like, crap, we all need to get to be number one here. You're probably going to start soon and we're going to see some more lawsuits for IP. So this is not surprising. It is also Ring's second lawsuit, first lawsuit we've talked about a lot, is ADT. They are suing them over their security system, claiming that they stole some ideas from them from when that Ring hired the Zonoff people, former Zonoff people.
1: (laughs) This actually reminds me of the Apple-Samsung lawsuits when it got to the slab of a phone we patented it, you know, and the tablets, you know, hey, our tablet has the same look and feel, blah, blah, blah. Let's be honest, and I'm not a lawyer and I'm not passing judgment on anybody here, but as I look at this from a consumer point of view, video doorbell has video camera in it. It's got two terminals for your wiring. It's got probably a speaker. I mean, I just, I hate to see this.
0: I am with you. And there's a bunch of other video doorbells running around. Video doorbells. They're so hot right now at CES. Yep.
1: Okay. Including the blink that I did get to see.
0: Oh yeah, Kevin got to see the Blink, which was recently purchased by Amazon.
1: Which actually looks very similar to in size and look and feel as the Ring Doorbell Pro.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to say, or the Nest that's coming out Mm -hmm. later. So yeah, yeah. expect more in this market, IP-wise and doorbell-wise. And now, final big topic before we go to a listener question and our guest is the smart bathroom. This is an extension of the smart kitchen. So one of the coolest things I've seen here is a... Delta, faucet Kohler also introduced this feature too, and you can, it connects and talks to Madam A, and you can ask Madam A, it's not just like, oh, turn on my faucet, which could it's be nice. handy, but is probably not that great. You can also tell it to fill something up, like put eight ounces, put two cups of water in this, and it'll just dispense that, and it's done. And you can train it to fill up, so like I have a big spaghetti pot, put the big spaghetti pot in, and I can be like, Madam A, tell Delta to fill my spaghetti pot. And the theory is that that will happen and then it'll just turn off.
1: You can even ask it to preheat water.
0: There you go. So, this is awesome. I'm sorry, you guys. It is super awesome because these are like not adding intelligence or remote connectivity to things, they're adding actual value add features. So, Kohler also introduced this concept of the smart bathroom. They put out a makeup mirror with Amazon Echo in it. They've got, I feel like, a shower or something. They've got a lot happening. And speaking of the smart bathroom, which I'm not, Actually, sure I'm ready for.
1: But (laughs) ready or not, here it comes.
0: Exactly. Let's take a listener question from the Internet of Things podcast hotline. The IoT Podcast Listener Hotline is brought to you by Schlage, maker of electronic locks. Schlage Electronic Locks offer unparalleled convenience and a simplicity all on their own, right out of the box, so you don't have to have a smart home system to benefit. To see what's possible, visit Schlage.com to learn more. And if you have a question for us, Give us a call in the IoT Podcast hotline at 512-623-7424.
3: Hey, IoT Podcast. So I have a question. I'm actually in the market to buy my first home and finally stop renting. And I was wondering, what kind of IoT solutions should I be looking at? I'm kind of an IoT noob right now. Basically, I'm just built into the Madam A ecosystem with an echo that I was gifted and the 29 Black Echo Dot Black Friday deal. Other than that, I'm not really invested in it. I was wondering, where should I start looking and start doing my research to iot 5 my house? Also, my real estate agent got me thinking when he was talking about one of his former clients that had moisture sensors in the bathroom, so when the moisture lever got too high, it would automatically turn on the vent. I was wondering, are there sensors that can determine almost like a like the stinkiness level, and turn on the fan to vent out the smell. Just wondering. Love the podcast. Thank you.
0: Okay, Kyle, that went in a different direction than I thought. I was ready for like, hey, I've got a Madame A, and what do I buy? And you just took it right to an interesting use case. Yeah. So when you're thinking about how to make your home smarter, we always suggest starting with the use case. And in your case, we can solve it a couple different ways. And we can partially solve it in other ways. So the first way Kevin brought up was you don't even have to make it smart.
1: Right. There are home, there are bathroom fans that have built-in sensors for humidity detection, so they'll just keep running until the humidity level drops to a certain point. That's a non-smart, by non-smart I mean non-connected. There obviously is a sensor, a moisture sensor in there, but it doesn't communicate with anything other than itself in terms of keeping the fan going. So you could do that, and that shouldn't cost you much more than like 80 to 90 bucks or so, at like a Home Depot, Lowe's, etc. I bought one for from my last house, just never put it in. But if you want to smartify this, then you probably want to get a switch in your bathroom.
0: And make sure it's a switch, not a dimmer. Right. A Wi-Fi switch would probably be just fine. And there's TP-Link makes one. So does Wemo. That means you're going to have to play with a little bit of electricity. Mm-hmm. Just be smart. It's fine. You can do it. And then the question of like, there's plenty of humidity sensors out there.
1: But as far as smell sensors, that's a little trickier.
0: Yes. So I can't... Kevin and I had a lively debate over what makes a bathroom stinky. The consensus appears to be hydrogen sulfide.
1: Right. And I would think ammonia as well would be part of it. I don't
0: know. So we're not those scientists. No. And, you know, I was talking to actually someone from IFT, and they actually had an AWARE AWAIR sensor next to their cat litter box. When their cat went, they would trigger an applet that would turn on a smart outlet that had a band plugged into mm-hmm. it. So
1: right. same concept then.
0: The concepts here is similar. So some sensors that we just a lot of them measure VOCs. I don't know right. if hydrogen sulfide is a VOC. You can buy a hydrogen sulfide gas sniffer for like a hundred bucks, but then you gotta connect it to the internet.
1: That there's a lot of DIY stuff there, probably some programming and such.
0: That doesn't feel like something you'd be excited about. If you guys know of any connected sensors, nobody advertises this particular feature, but maybe it's a hidden market. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, if you get the smart switch, you could always do something where you either set it off with a motion detection when you come into the bathroom every time, and then after 15 minutes it stops. That could be easy. Right.
1: You could could determine what that time is that it's going to run and so on. Mm -hmm.
0: Or... You could buy a 10 to $14 bottle of Paris, which is maybe my recommendation. This is a little spray. It's not an air freshener. You spray it into the toilet, creates this oil film on top, and apparently odors cannot penetrate it. Mm-mm. People love this stuff. I've actually never tried it, but there is a really big community. So if you didn't want to connect anything, Lowe's for your humidity-sensing fan, mm-hmm. your grocery checkout aisle or Target checkout aisle for a little vial of Poo-Pourri, and that might solve
1: all of your problems. Yeah. And as far as other things for a new house and just getting started, I think the low-hanging fruit really is lights. You don't have to do more switches unless you want to. You can just do bulbs.
0: And a thermostat. Yep. I'm a big fan of the thermostat. And as an added bonus, if you get certain thermostats plus the Fubot or AWARE sensors, a lot of those will work together to create, like, if VOCs are detected in your home, they'll actually turn on your AC. Mm Mm-hmm. So you could kill many birds with one stone slash sensor.
1: Yeah, lots of options.
0: All right. So Kyle, thanks for calling. And again, guys, if you have a question for us, 512-623-7424. And now stay tuned for a conversation with Simon Seegers, the CEO of ARM. Hey everyone, we're taking a break from this week's IoT podcast for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Lux Products, and we have Rob Munin, CEO of Lux Products, here to talk about their brand new Kono Thermostat and how it works in the smart home. So, Rob, can you tell our audience a little bit about Lux?
2: We are a proud bunch of Philadelphia-based innovators of HVAC controls. We've been around for over a hundred years. Our most recent launch, the Lux Kono Smart Thermostat, is a product chock full of smart features. It has a decor element with decor snap cover so it can match any environment, and it works with all the voice assistants.
0: And I would add that it's only 149 which is a pretty competitive price. So, Rob, home automation was a big deal at CES this year. A bunch of devices were still focused on voice, but a big thing was everything we had to work with one another. How did you guys attack that problem?
2: We stay in the channel that we're in, which is HVAC. And so we know that we have to be able to communicate with all the major voice assistants because we view that as the glue of the smart home. So coming out of the gate, we have the big three. Google, Apple, and Amazon. And we work seamlessly with those so we can be part of each of those ecosystems.
0: And right now, you guys offer three generations of connected products. How do each of those fit within the home automation ecosystem?
2: That's a great question. We started our smart thermostats with the Lux Geo in 2015. And its feature is that it is battery-operated Wi-Fi products. So it works off of two lithium AA batteries, or of course, with the famous C-wire and our new power bridge, which makes it have connectivity forever and ever. The second generation was more of a pro product, we call the Geo X, and that has superior humidification control. And of course, the most recent, our third generation is the Kono Smart. And we've just launched the Kono Smart Zigbee version, which we've duly named Kono Z.
0: Excellent. Having all of this experience, what are some things that you think manufacturers need to remember when embracing the smart home?
2: One of the things that we differentiate on for the hub-based systems and with our Zigbee product is that we are a thermostat company first. And so when we designed our Zigbee product for the hubs, we made sure that if you happen to lose connectivity to the hub, you're still going to have your thermostat working on a schedule, keeping the house comfortable, and even if you had to for those devices, you can put a schedule in at the wall on the device, which is something that other people that are in the smart products business first and then thermostat second don't think about. We've been through this a lot. For the past 30 years, we have over 15 million thermostats on the wall. We know exactly what to do to keep the home comfortable.
0: All right, Rob, that sounds great. Where can we go to find out more?
2: Well, we'd love to have everyone come to luxproducts.com. There's plenty to read there. And if you want to learn more about the Kono Smart Thermostat, you can stop by your local Home Depot store or shop online.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham. And today's guest is Simon Seegers, who is the CEO of Arm. Hi, Simon. How are you doing today?
4: Hi, Stacey. I'm good, thanks.
0: I am so excited. We are here live at CES. And as you guys all know, I love semiconductors. I love ARM. They don't make semiconductors. They just make the brains, the instruction set, and then they license it out to everybody else. Mm-hmm. So in my brain, Simon knows everything that's going to happen for the next five years. What do you think, Simon? <laughs>
4: <laughs> that might be a bit of an overstatement. How about two? <laughs> I mean, I, I like to think that, you know, the way we work, the way we develop our technology, the way we work with our partners, enables us to have you know, some insight of where at least the world of processing is going, if not the devices themselves that, it, that those processors end up in. I mean, the fun thing about coming to CES is, is seeing exactly what everybody does with the technology. You think about the supply chain we're in. We're developing processors and everything else people use to build chips. We license them to chip companies. They design those into, well, they put their own stuff around it, design it into an end product. It eventually gets shipped. So there's a really long kind of time gap between us doing our stuff, especially at the very early days of new technologies and it ending up in a real product.
0: You make it sound like it takes a long time, but it's actually gotten a lot shorter. So from the point in time that you guys start designing a chip, or you're like, oh my gosh, I think we need voice recognition capabilities. How long do those, can you walk our audience who may not be familiar with this process through how that happens and how long it takes?
4: If we are thinking about new architectural features, then that time from First thinking about what we might need to products shipping in a store that you could actually go buy could be 10 years. I mean, some of the architectural features that are shipping now in smartphones based on our V8 technology, you know, the work on that happened probably 10 years ago. So, you know, in some cases that time delay really is a long time. Once we've got that architecture defined and we're thinking about maybe iterations on top of that or specific processes for different performance point, different applications, you know, that can be from our product concept to a shipping product can be anything from two years to four years. It's still a fairly long period of time.
0: It is. You guys must be really smart having to think about this stuff. So let's think about you and I first met like four and a half years ago when you took on the CEO job at Arm. Arm was riding high, mobile was everywhere. And when I asked you what you were excited about, what you were going to do next, you were kind of like, hey, internet of things, servers. (laughs) And you didn't really give me much more than that. So looking back on that now, Do you recognize that as like a transition period? And what did you guys, where do you guys see ARM heading?
4: I think when you look back at that period, and if you talk to anyone in the kind of semiconductor industry, everybody could see that, you know, smartphones have been phenomenal, driven a huge amount of semiconductor content, huge amount of R&D, huge amount of economic value for everybody in the chain. But, you know, the growth rates for mobile was going to slow down and everyone was thinking, well, what's next? And it really wasn't clear. And, you know, I talked to a lot of CEOs in this industry and back then, Nobody knew what the next big killer thing was. Now, you know, it's much clearer that the technologies of IoT, the processing capabilities that are going to enable artificial intelligence, these are kind of key building blocks that can get deployed in lots and lots of different ways, whether it's self-driving cars recognizing your voice and ordering a pizza for you or, you know, making the lights in the room go off after you walk out automatically. There's just a a gazillion and one applications for this technology. So, you know, what I've learned looking back over this time, I kind of had this idea that these technologies were going to be useful. Nobody knew what the end markets were. We're now, well, I've got very high confidence that these technologies are going to be useful. We're starting to see the first deployments of them in real products. And I think we're just going to see more and more.
0: So some of the features that we've talked about, and I don't know if this has hardware implications for you guys, voice, Mm -hmm. computer vision, which I feel is still kind of early, machine learning, both at the edge and in, Mm -hmm. in the cloud. What else is there that there's some communication technologies that are kind of worth talking about? And everything is low power.
4: Yeah, you know, what we're trying to do is create a portfolio of IP that, you know, when you integrate it, it all works really well together. It's efficient. It's energy efficient. It you know, maximizes the reuse of data to save pinging memory and again, burning more power. Trying to put that whole IP portfolio together so that our partners can then you know, mix and match what they want, integrate their own technology for all these different end markets. And as, you know, over the last few years, we've seen things like voice, things like vision start to become, you know, applications people want to use because the technology can support them. There are new features that we need to develop. You look at the algorithms that people are using to do machine learning. They run well on processors, You can run them on processors, but they'll run even more efficiently in other types of, of accelerator. And you're starting to see people come to market And these are are the
0: GPUs or TPUs? People are
4: using GPUs. People are developing uh, custom accelerators. This whole space is very alive at the moment because it's all new. The algorithms are changing. The algorithms are being developed. And I think, you know, sit here in another four and a half years' time, you know, you'll look at all of these technologies and what we're producing, and it will be addressing, you know, a lot of that.
0: Okay. And this may, you may have already answered this actually with this just a moment ago, but you guys were recently purchased by SoftBank in... Masayoshi-san has this big vision for a trillion connected devices everywhere. And you guys are an essential part of that. So what are you doing to kind of push that vision forward?
4: What Masa is doing with the SoftBank Group is creating an ecosystem of companies where really what glues them all together is data. You look at the investments that they're making, they're in businesses which can use data to glean insights, whether it's in how people use office space, how people move around, lots and lots of different ways. That data is going to be gathered by IoT devices. It's going to be moved across a network. It's going to be processed, some of that in the edge, some of that in the cloud, some of that in the network. All of that relies on efficient, energy-efficient semiconductor devices, and we're creating the building blocks for that. So you know, I view what we're doing in ARM as really at the heart of everything Massa is trying to achieve because it's all about data, capturing it, moving it, using it, processing it, getting the insight from it to add real value.
0: In that kind of vein of data and machine learning specifically, there are a lot of upstart chip companies. I'm super excited about this because it's been a while since there've been a lot of chip companies running around. But there are several of those. Is that something you guys might look to make acquisitions in?
4: It's not something I'd ever rule out. There are a lot of the chip companies that are getting a lot of money are building big chips focused on the data center. Where, you know, whilst we have activities focused on the data center, You know, our natural starting point is more at the edge. You know, we think there's going to be a lot of machine learning algorithms applied in edge devices in this microphone you're pointing at me at the moment in IoT devices all over. Lots and lots of edge processing is going to start analyzing data. And we see that as a huge opportunity.
0: We're going to move to security and specifically everybody's big panic, Spectre and Meltdown. Mm -hmm. And initially ARM based processors were not affected. We all thought, but now it turns out they are. So can you talk to us about what you guys are doing to address this?
4: So when the this particular type of vulnerability got discovered, it was by a bunch of researchers over at Google. They contacted us and they contacted Intel and they contacted AMD because any processor that uses advanced forms of speculation to deliver high performance is potentially impacted in this way. What we did was go and analyze our products because you know this type of attack is brand new and it really is very sophisticated, very complex and utilizes features which nobody thought could ever yield a a security weakness. So we spent time analyzing that. I, I don't think there was ever a time when, you know, the world was thinking, oh, ARM isn't affected, oh, now they are. Because, you know, when this news broke, you know, we were very much out in public very rapidly with, here is our analysis of the situation as it pertains to ARM, communicating with our partners about, you know, which products are affected, which aren't. We've been proactive in upstreaming patches and fixes that are required and working across our partnership to try and minimize the impact of this issue.
0: You guys are in a little bit of a unique spot because of your licensing agreement. So you license the tech to somebody else who sells a end product to someone. Mm-hmm. How do you ensure, and this, this is important in security and IoT just very broadly, mm-hmm. how do you ensure that what you're doing to solve the problem on your end gets all the way out to the end user.
4: Yeah, I mean, and there's only so much of that that we can control. As you say, we're in a supply chain and we're quite a long way down it. But as a you know, developer of the architecture, as a developer of processes people are using, we spend a lot of time thinking about the software that's going to run on an ARM in an ARM product, even if we don't end up shipping it. So we do a lot of work in open source. We do a lot of work on the Linux kernel. And so in this issue, particularly, we spent time making sure that there were patches for Linux. Uh, We worked with partners on that. We made sure that was available. We've communicated that through our partnership. We've worked with the OS vendors to understand how these vulnerabilities do pertain to ARM cores and and what needs to be done. So you know, really, we've used our relationships up and down the industry to try and get everybody doing the right thing and being ready for the day when this did go live.
0: So is my phone going to run slower now since ARM-based processors are the key of every phone out there?
4: That really does remain to be seen. But one thing I would advise you to do absolutely is when the patch gets pushed to you, download it and install it. The other thing I'd say is this security issue, like almost all of them, can only get exploited through malware on your device. So if ever there is a time to be worried about you know, not going to that dodgy website or clicking on that link or accepting that email that doesn't quite look right, now is a time to really, really be aware of that. Malware has to get in your device in the first place. So yeah, do the software patches and continue to practice kind of safe cybersecurity hygiene.
0: Good hygiene. Okay. What Spectre and Meltdown actually brought home to me wasn't just like, ah, we're all screwed. It was this idea that security, we're always going to be finding new vulnerabilities Mm. in places, possibly places we've never even thought about. So how do we try to think about security and then also implement security going forward as we put more and more really important stuff online? How are you thinking about that?
4: Yeah, I think uh, one really important concept to get your head around is that you know security isn't a thing that you solve and then have solved security forever because yeah you know, people will find new ways of circumventing systems. Spectrum meltdown, as I said, are abusing. Techniques that have been used in microprocessors for decades and what everybody considered a safe use of those, of those methods, i.e., you do speculation. If it turns out you shouldn't have done it, then no fixed state in the processor ever changes. Where well, it turns out there are some side effects and those side effects could get exploited. And, you know, I've worked at ARM for 27 years. I know a lot of people with a lot of experience in microprocessor design and everybody I know has looked at this has just been blown away at how this technique could get exploited there are going to be more things like that. Security is an ever-moving problem. And as we move to a world of billions of connected devices, many gazillions of IoT things, new ways to attack that will come about. So we have to consider that security is a very live thing. We've always got to be on the lookout for new issues. We've got to have ways to fix issues when they come up. Now, with Spectrum Meltdown, Fixing the hardware of many, many deployed devices, you know, really is a non-starter. And fortunately, you don't need to because the software mitigations do work and they are the right way of approach of solving those issues. In a world of IOT, you know, many things you can buy today, IOT things, connected devices for your house don't have any way to have their software updated. It is good that most computing devices that are going to be affected by Spectrum Meltdown are at the end of an operating system that can get updated. IoT devices, a lot of embedded devices, Yeah, all the software they ever run is in it when it leaves the factory. If there's no way of getting new software in it ever, that might be okay. But I think actually in order of IoT, it's going to be really important that those devices can be managed and that the software can change over the lifetime because the security threats will change.
0: That's grim and depressing. (laughs) Let's end on something a little bit more cheerful. Let's talk about we are here at CES I know you haven't traveled the show floor possibly mm. as much, but what are you looking for? What are you most excited about
4: in the year ahead
0: for technology?
4: Every year I come here, that there's just, you know, there's kind of an extra tick on the ratchet of how this technology is used and put into cool consumer products. Yeah, you know, we spend our lives kind of in the transistors thinking about 10 years down the road, how much compute performance is going to be needed in things generally? When I come to CES, I see how people have actually used them and put them in AR glasses or drones. I, I, I gather, were it not for the weather this week, there'd be a demo of a kind of an autonomous two-seater drone out there. Not sure I want to be the first person in that, but it did sound pretty cool. There are all these technologies that you see just advance every year. And every year it feels like the rate of advancement is faster. And that's because the cost of accessing the technology goes down and down and down, and more people can experiment with it, and you just get more innovation as a result. And that's that's a really cool thing to see.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Simon. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you'd like more IoT news, sign up for my newsletter at StacyonioT.com. We'll see you next week.